Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. An ongoing conversation with ministry leaders about embracing complexity and uncertainty with joy and faithfulness. This is Amy Valdez Barker, and I am here with the Ministry Collaborative with my colleague Adam Mixon and Melanie Marsh. And we are going into part two of an incredible conversation with Melanie, who has been doing ministry in some amazing ways, but also living through the challenges that we all face in mission and ministry, especially in the landscape that we're living in right now. And so, Melanie, we've heard from you in part one, but can you kind of guide us through, like, what did it take to stay engaged in a place that was so turbulent for you in ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think the thing that made it possible for me to stay engaged was that despite what anyone else might have felt or thought, I really did feel like these people were in some way my people. Because like this was my home presbytery. So not my home congregation, but a congregation in the same presbytery where I grew up and spent my entire childhood. And so all the way through the process from before I arrived back in Florida, all the way through my ministry time there in this church, I kept encountering and running into people I had known throughout my childhood when I was very involved in church ministry and throughout my adolescence when I was doing national church work. And they were all so enthusiastically in favor of seeing me in this ministry position that I was like, yes, I'm coming back to my home. I'm coming back to my people. And it wasn't until I landed in this place that it really started to hit me all the ways in which the things I didn't see when I was growing up were so stark in reality as an adult coming back after having lived overseas, after having lived on the West Coast, after having lived in the Northeast and had all these experiences of growing up as a young black woman in America and not really realizing all the ways in which race was still such a huge issue for people. Coming back to Northeast Florida and seeing oh, wow, this is a pretty huge culture shock. I might see these people as my people, but a lot of these people do not see me as one of them. And I'm now going to have to like find a way to reconcile that for myself. But I think what made it easier was the fact that this really felt like home for me. I still felt like I was coming home, and I was not about to let anybody else tell me that I couldn't be home in my own home context. So they were just going to have to learn to live with us together. (laughs) Boy, who do you give credit for forming you? Who discipled you? Mm. Because... It sounds obvious. We're Christians. Right. The the idea of not othering your enemies. Mm. Yeah. Blessing those who in some instances... Living that out, yeah, yeah that yeah. seems like core to who you, you carry that with you into this space. Oh, for sure. For sure. I have to give that credit probably to my grandmother. So I come from a family of immigrants and my family, my parents, my grandparents, all of my aunts, uncles, cousins were all born in Jamaica or many of them or other Caribbean islands surrounding. So my grandma raised me. It was my mom and my grandmother and myself and my brother that lived together in a household. And she was the one who took on the role really of mother in our lives because my mom 
is a doctor and worked long hours outside of the home. So it was my grandma who picked us up from school, my grandma who put us to bed at night, my grandma who took us to church on Sundays most of the time, and really instilled both a strong faith within me and also a strong like determination. One of the things that she would always say is, I'll find a way or I'll make a way. Mm. If I can't find a way, I'm going to make it. I think that was in the, my heart and in my head as I was going through this process. You're going to find a way or you're going to make a way to make this work. Wow. Yeah. So to quote our colleague, Jen Wiley Maxell, she's always talking about identity call and purpose, identity call and purpose. Yeah. And the pastor as person first, right? Yeah. My goodness. Again, sounds like you've embodied that. You're, yeah. And how are you carrying that forward into a new context? Yeah. What are the less obvious challenges? That you- <laughs> <laughs> well, I think always the challenge, no matter what the challenges of the job context are, as a pastor, living into your humanity is always a challenge because people see the role first. They see the clergy collar or they see the robe or they see the stole. They don't always see the human. And so it's like you have to keep remembering your own spirit, as one of my friends says to me, all the things that you are outside of your calling and outside of your job in that calling through having a strong community and village around you that is not related to your work. I think that's a really important thing. And also finding ways to remember all the parts of yourself that are not as overtly tied to ministry. So like before I was in ministry, I was in the arts. I was an actor and a dancer. And I've gotten really lucky to be able to find some colleagues and friends who are also creative people that we can sharing creative activities together. You're having a time in Miami finding actors and dancers and artists, right? Yeah. And luckily, there are some pastors who are also actors and dancers and musicians and things like that. So we are really lucky to be able to explore that side of ourselves together and then let that filter out into our work with our congregants as well, which is really nice. In my case, I feel like it's really hard not to allow your humanity to come out, especially when my congregation sees me parenting my three children as a single parent, because it's just like with your kids, things are always going a little haywire. (laughs) So they see that. And having a congregation that embraces that is really a gift. So I don't know that that would be embraced universally, but luckily it is here. Yeah, Melanie, I know that sometimes when we go through these really hard moments, we sit here and wonder, like, why, God? Mm, (laughs) Why, God, would you put me in this place? Why do I have to go through this experience? What is it that you have called me to that you're trying to teach me or whatever? Definitely. But one of the things that I have learned is that there is no such thing as wasted time. Yeah. So as you look back at this and as you look forward with hope, what are some of the key learnings that you've taken from that time and that experience that you think would be and is so essential to who you are now as a minister in this new place? Oh, that is a great question, because I do think that as much as I feel like the experience that I had in Jacksonville transformed the church, it 100% transformed my ministry and myself as a person too. Maybe the biggest way was in 
learning to see where we can find common ground with each other and learning to cultivate those places of common ground and allow the other things that are not the common ground to just sort of fade into the background in a lot of ways. Like, okay, we are never going to agree on X and X, but we can agree on this other thing. Let's start there. And in both of the communities, the one I was in most recently and the one I'm in now, that has really centered around gatherings that involve food. (laughs) Meals in people's homes, meals at the church, barbecues. There was a congregation member back at the church I just came from who every January 1st, they would have anyone over who wanted to come over for black eyed peas and collard greens for good luck for the year. And regardless of where we stood on any kind of issue, everybody was at that house and we were laughing and joking and having a wonderful time. And I think those were the moments, like being able to show up for that, being able to stand next to a person at the graveside of the person they love and hold their hand or, you know, say a prayer for someone they love Those are the things that transcend any kind of differences. And those are the things I really leaned into during those years and have taken that with me into my new context as well. And I think will go with me for a lifetime. It's like, it really doesn't matter where you stand on social issues as much as it matters how you stand next to someone in their moment of need and show up for them. I mean, there's a deep theological foundation for the whole notion of table fellowship Mm -hmm. yeah yeah who we eat with right my goodness it's almost a type of formation that's taken place that is not formulaic Mm. which makes me want to push at that a little bit and ask you with table fellowship and how we stand or sit with one another in difficult times if you were making a short list for a pastor of non-negotiables, <laughs> what would your list of non-negotiables be? Like things you have to do as a pastor? Things that should matter to you as a pastor and to the community. Things that you would emphasize, just double down on mm-hmm. no matter what the context. What are those essentials? We are all human and beloved by God. And if we can't see what the human and beloved by Godness is in someone else, then we need to look again and then look again and then look again. That there is not one single person, even the person that we cannot stand, that is not wrapped up in the love of God. And it's not up to them to prove to us where that humanity is. It's up to us to go looking for it and to seek it out. And that's not easy. That's probably the hardest part, but that's the part that I would want to double down on because that is a spiritual discipline that needs to be cultivated more in our society today by all people of faith. Seek the humanity in others. Right. And try to find that place where the spark of God's light in us can like connect with the spark of God's light in someone else. Yeah. That for sure, first and foremost. Secondly, never take yourself too seriously. Be open and curious. Understand that God is perfect. God is infinite. God knows all. But we just don't. And so we don't have to have all the answers. Because I think sometimes people feel like 
we are the absolute authority on things. And I'm like, dude, I'm just figuring this out too. Like I'm trying the best I can to listen for the word of God and the spirit of God talking to me in my heart. But we're always getting it wrong and we're always trying again. So it's open. <laughs> it's open yeah. for conversation. It's not like... <laughs> well, and one of the things I want to point to, to Melanie, is that, you know, Mixon's always talking about decentering the pastor. Yes. You know, decentering the pastor as the primary. And so what you're speaking to really kind of reminds us that the pastor is not God, first and foremost. Right. right. But what does it take for us to remind the congregation, the people that we're in ministry with, that we are not the center of the mission and ministry, that God is oh. the essential center of that? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe that's what it needs to be. Like everyone needs to have, we all need to, when we graduate from seminary, need to have a t-shirt that says, I don't know. That's our gift. That we you do. said fail boldly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. If all else fails, we are still beloved children of God. So we could just cling to that. What would it take for that to happen in the congregation? I think it has to start with us, right? We have to be able to be like, yo, I'm going to take a stab at this and I'm going to hope that I'm getting close to the answer. But this is a group effort. And I think that's the whole point of church, right? And it's particularly in like the Presbyterian model. I don't know about other denominations, but we are very much like the wisdom of the collective kind of people. We believe that the pastor is just here to like sort of facilitate and guide the conversation, at least I think, and then that the spirit moves through the hearts and minds of the whole body together. I mean, that's why we have a session that governs our congregations rather than just like one person saying, this is how we're going to do things. And, you know, I don't care what you think. There's something, again, that's just freeing, that's yeah. liberating about refusing that mantle. There is enough yeah. imposed on us because of the position that we inhabit right. for us not to assume that. Right, right. I mean, you're giving life to some pastor out there who feels like they got to always have the answer. Right. Got to always know right. what to say. And sometimes you just don't. Right. You show up. You show anyway. up. You show up in front of my desk right now. I have a little plaque, a little thing that says, so it is Rabbi Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L, Rabbi Hillel. And he says, I get up and I walk and I fall down. Meanwhile, I keep dancing. The most important thing that we can do is just keep showing up joyfully in every moment and just trust that the Holy Spirit is going to meet us there when we do. And together, we're going to figure this thing out. Because, I mean, it's a wild world out there. And there's a lot of unknown. There's a lot of things that are wrong. But I think being together, community, is going to save us. And being with one another. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org. 